Good morning. My name is Chandler Prezak, and I am the youth pastor here at Westbridge. And I just want to say hello to everyone joining us on our online audience, as well as anyone in the parent viewing rooms. That's a great option for you if you want to keep small kids with you during the service. Um, and yes, I would just like to address that uh, I do, I am teaching to a room full of adults with a mullet. Um, and that's part of the beauty of being a youth pastor is if you have a mullet, they're like, man, you're just so fun, um, you know? And it's like, like if Jeremiah had a mullet in here, you'd be like, come on, dude, it's, it's time. Like, it's time to grow up. And if Eli had a mullet, you'd be like, nice hair growth. So um, yeah, I really feel, uh, really feel like as the youth pastor, I love the opportunity to get up here. And um, I just wanna say, one last Sunday night, the worship night, if you guys didn't get to be here, that was one of my favorite nights since I've been here at Westbridge. It was just so cool to see so many people. We had 52 people from our church decide that they wanted to get baptized and 16 of those were students. And it was just, like as a youth pastor, I, I just, I felt so, uh, I, I just, it, it made me feel so emotional, um, which is something I don't get often, but I just thought it was so cool um, to see students wanting to be a part of the church body. Um, and a lot, of the, a lot of that is because of the example you guys set. Last thing I'll say before we jump into the passage today. So I, as you know, I'm the youth pastor. And recently we've had like 140 students coming every week at, on Wednesday night. And it has been, yeah, it's a great thing. But also if you don't know, 140 students is a lot of chaos. And so what we really need is uh, more small group leaders. So if you guys are sitting out there today and you're like, hey, you know what? I like working with students. You know, I, the rest of the world thinks I'm crazy, but I really like it. And you think that that might be something that has your name on it. We are looking for more sixth through 12th grade small group leaders. So I just wanted a shameless plug and I have the mic, might as well. Um, if you guys think that small group leading is something that has your name on it, please come talk to me after service because I'd love to get you plugged in and would love to have more people serving with our students to keep making an impact. That being said, we're going to jump into our series, The New You. We are in the final week of our series, The New You. And we looked at Paul's letter through the Ephesians and we're wrapping it up this week. Now, the first part of Paul's letter is all about who God is and what he has done for us. So Paul is writing this from a Roman prison and he's writing it to the church in Ephesians to encourage them. And he's saying, this is who God is and this is what he's done for you. And so that's the first half of the letter. It's all vertical between God and us. And then the second half is all horizontal. He says, because of who God is and what he's done for us, here's how you are to go out and live. Here's how you should treat people as a part of this new society, as believers, as followers of Jesus. And so we get all of that today, and then we start here in Ephesians, uh, and we're in chapter 6, verse 10. So if you guys have a Bible this morning, I'd encourage you to get those out and open up to Ephesians 6, verse 10 with me. Um, I just want to make a quick note, too. I think that having a written word of God with you is so important, or even on your phone um, as you're reading along. Yes, we're going to put it up here on the TV and you're going to see that, but having this physical Bible with you so that you can see the verse in its whole context, so that you can read along, so that you can get used to underlining and circling verses and getting comfortable with this is going to be so beneficial for us as people getting comfortable with and using the Bible. And I'll talk about that um, a little bit later on in the message, but uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. So, Ephesians 6.10, Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Ephesians, and he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So finally, we get this word finally right here, and what Paul is doing as he's drawing your attention with this word finally, because of, it's, we said therefore, 
a lot of times when we hear that, you go, what is the therefore, therefore? And the same time, finally, is this because of all that has happened, I want you to pay attention. So he's saying, finally, because all the things that I've said, because of what we talked about, because of who God is and what he's done for you, because of how he's told you how to live, finally, so this is his closing thoughts. These are his closing remarks, and he's going, I'm going to send you guys out, but I want to give you one last thing to remember to keep with you. And this is what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, we read, finally, stand firm. And you're like, okay, stand firm, be strong. And if anyone says that to you, why would they be telling you that? That's what you have to ask yourself. If, if, you're, if your dad came, and you, imagine you're a little kid again, and your dad comes and grabs you and you say, hey, I need you to stand firm. You'd be like, for, for what? Like, what are we, what are we, what's happening? You know, like, I don't know if, if this has ever happened to you guys where something scary you're about to face. And so Paul says, hey, I need you guys all to be strong. I need the church to stand firm. And he says, take on the armor of God. You're like, armor? What's going on here? You know, it's like, imagine this context keeps growing. He's like, I need you guys to stand firm. Here's your weapons. You're like, what's happening? And the point Paul is making is whether you realize it or not, is that you are in a battle. See, most of us, we might not think of our Christian lives as a battle. We might not think of us as followers of Jesus, that we are engaged in war. But he says here, you are, whether you realize it or not, you are in a battle with the, with the, this is what he says, with the, our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world. He says, so you are constantly at war. And he says, maybe part of our problem as, as followers of Jesus is we might not know that we are in a battle. Now imagine for a moment with me that you guys decided that today was the best day for a family picnic. It's warm, it's sunny, you're in summer, the weather's nice. And so you've got your picnic basket. You're like, you're telling your kids, you're like, we're going to go on a family picnic. It's going to be great. So, you know, uh, you're making sandwiches. You're putting everything together. You're putting it in the blanket. You're just so excited. Everyone's headed out and you're driving and you get there and you set out your blanket. You set out all your food and you're ready to enjoy this beautiful, sunny picnic. And then you realize that today is June 6th, 1994. And you're on a beach in Normandy, France. Now, for those of you who are not history nerds, that is, that is uh, the invasion when the U.S. went and invaded France. That's D-Day. All of a sudden, this beautiful beach picnic isn't so beautiful. Why? Because you're in a battle that you didn't know about. And I think sometimes this is how we as Christians approach our spiritual lives. I know I do. You can walk around and I... And I see my relationship with Jesus as if I'm in this spiritual picnic, as if we're about to have this great time together and I don't realize that there's a battle all around me happening and if I'm not prepared for it, then I'm not going to do very well in the battle. And so this is what Paul is writing to this church about as he's saying, look, you are in a battle that we need to be prepared for. You need to stand strong. And if you know that you're about to go into a battle, don't you prepare for it? Like, think about it. Think about the amount of time soldiers need to be trained in order to be sent off into battle. Or MMA fighters. 
When those guys know they have a fight coming up, the amount they train every day rigorously to prepare for battle. And as Christians, we shouldn't walk through our life just going like, eh, I'm gonna figure out what I wanna do today and I'm gonna skip around meaningless as if this is just, as if this life is just whatever I feel like achieving today. We gotta realize that we are engaged in a spiritual battle that whether we realize it or not is happening all around us and we might be losing this spiritual battle if we don't know that we're in it to prepare for it. And the second thing Paul, point Paul makes is that our battle is against Satan and not humans. Our battle is against Satan and not humans. I actually thought about changing the wording Satan because I was like, ah, man, I don't know. Like that just, it's a little bit intense, don't you think? Like, come on, we don't wanna, we don't wanna be talking about Satan here at church and that just seems all a little bit much. But this is what Paul says, that our battle is against spiritual forces. There's an evil, he says, prepare yourselves against the devil's schemes. And a lot of times, as human beings, we spend so much time focused on fighting one another. We spend so much energy and we are engaged in battle with each other, not realizing that people are not your main enemy. And if we don't realize who our real enemy is, he gets, has a lot easier task if we're fighting each other instead of fighting against him. Honestly, I think that Satan delights in the fact that we have a bigger issue with the people sitting in this room than we do with him. Because too often when we make people our enemy, we are fixated on what they've done to hurt you and how you've wronged me and the, and the things that you've done. And I don't, wanna, I don't wanna downplay any of the hurt that you guys have experienced. Like there is legitimate hurt that you've experienced by people in this broken world that have done things that are unthinkable, that are cruel, that are mean, and you have a legitimate reason to feel the hurt that you're feeling. But I want to, Paul makes the point that even though those people have hurt you, they're not what you're fighting, they're not your enemy. You see, your ex is not your enemy. Your business partner who betrayed you is not your enemy. Your boss that doesn't think highly of you is not your enemy. Your teacher, your professor, your coworker, your siblings, those are not your enemy. See, people are not our enemy. They are captives of our enemy. Uh, Jesus says this in John 12, 31. He says, Satan is the ruler of this world. He calls him the prince of this world or the ruler of this world, which means that Satan has power and control here on earth. And you better believe that he wants to weaponize your brokenness to pin you against each other to keep the attention off him. Satan is going to take the brokenness in us and weaponize it so that we are fighting each other and not against him. And Satan is at work in broken marriages. He's at work in absent dads, in abusive homes, in family tension. Because Satan knows that when families are strong, churches will be strong. And he knows that when churches are strong, people are going to be coming to Jesus. And, and Satan also realizes that he can't touch Jesus, that Jesus is way too powerful for him to affect. And so he says, you know what? I can't get to the father, but you know what I can do? I can go after his kids. So he pushes and he prods and he attacks and he creates tension and division and he attacks the families because that's the core of who we are. Because when family units aren't working properly and when we're fighting each other and when we're frustrated and focused on who hurt us, we miss the real enemy. 
We miss what God, who, how God wants us to work together to bring people to know him and work against Satan, the enemy, and instead we're too busy fighting each other. Now, you might have never heard this before, and I don't think I'm gonna be the first to tell you this, but people are difficult. The church, people in the church are difficult. You guys are hard to love. I'm hard to love. All of us, we have brokenness and flaws that make us frustrating to other people and hard to love. But we can't forget who our enemy is. It's not the difficult person next to you. It's someone far more devious who wants to keep you from worshiping your creator. Your creator. And, and speaking of division, there's not a lot of more divided groups than the U.S. Congress. Would you guys agree? Yeah, right? Like they, they don't get along very often. Do you know that in the last hundred years, there's two times that Congress has voted unanimously together? It was December 18th, 1941. That was the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor. And the second one was September 14th, 2001, three days after 9-11. So why? Why does one of the most divided groups who cannot stand each other, why did they all decide to agree on the same thing? It's because they realized in that moment that they had a common enemy, that there was something waging war on them that was more important than their differences in one another. There was something bigger. They had a bigger common enemy. And this is with you guys as Christians. I'm not saying that you have to like every Christian in this room. Like, I get it. Sometimes we're annoying. Sometimes followers of Jesus will get on your nerves. But what I am asking you is not to, not to like everyone, but to be willing to work alongside every follower of Jesus because we have a bigger enemy that is waging war on us as God's children. And so you're like, okay, well, then what? Then what? what do I do? Well, Paul says in Romans 14, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So, Again, you don't have to like that person, but mutual edification is just this big fancy word that means mutual building up of others. So do whatever you can in a church, whether you like someone or not. Even if you don't like someone, you can still have peace with them and build them up. And then he also says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We as followers of Jesus need to be able to work hand in hand against our common enemy. We can't spend too much time fighting each other. And this is what Paul wants us to understand is stop battling each other because your battle is against Satan. And the last thing is this, your battle is with and for the king, with and for the king. Now, depending on who you're fighting with and what you're fighting against can change the way you battle. I'm sorry, what you're fighting for can change the battle. Like for example, if you set me in a rink against someone and you're like, hey, fight this person. I'm like, okay, for what? And you're like, the winner gets 50 cents. I'm going to be like, can I tap now? Like, that's, you can give it to him. I don't care. I don't need to win this battle. Versus if you sit me aside this ring and you go, hey, this person is trying to attack your family. The way I fight is going to be very different then. And in the same way, we as followers of Jesus, we aren't just fighting for nothing. We aren't just doing this because it looks really good as Christians to stand firm against the enemy. We are, we believe that we're making a difference in people's salvation whether people know Jesus or not, where they spend their eternity is the battle that we are facing. And so we see that as a huge, important responsibility. And we not only get to do, we not only get to take part in the king's battle, but we are with him. We are with Jesus. See, uh, John 16, 33, it says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
See, you're going to face trouble. You're going to have battles. You're going to have difficulties here. But Jesus, the one that you are fighting with, has overcome the world. He is going to give you the strength and the power that you need to wake up each day and have enough energy for the battle that you're facing. And he, if, if we're willing, will give us the perspective to, to have our minds renewed that our enemy, again, is not with people, but is with, is we, our battle is against Satan and with God and with the people next to us. So then he says in that, that those are the points he makes about the battle, but he says, put on the armor of God. Well, what is the armor of God? Great question. The armor of God. Now, many of you, you might've, you can go back to that, sorry. Many of you might've grown up in church and you picture this as the armor of God. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you grew up in Sunday school or maybe your kids have come home and they've made this craft. And like, if you had a good Sunday school teacher, you'd like cut out the helmet and the breastplate and all this stuff. And you'd like glue it on with your glue stick and you'd fill it in all the blanks. I know that I did these crafts as a kid. So a lot of times when I would get to this passage of scripture and I'd be like, put on the full armor of God, this is what I'd picture. I'd be like, oh yeah, it's a kid's craft. But what happens sometimes, unfortunately, is because we've done something so often, it just goes on autopilot. And maybe, maybe you're new here and you're like, I never did any of this and that's all weird to me. Well, great, I'm glad you're coming in with fresh eyes, but a lot of us, we might've experienced this and that is what makes us go on autopilot, but we don't actually think about what each of these things mean. And that's what I want to do today is I want to draw this in, color this in, you could say, um, so that we have a good picture of the armor of God. So the first one, or I'm sorry, I'm gonna read it. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after, you have done ev- and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the first thing in the armor of God is the belt of truth. Now, belt of truth. When you are in war, you need a belt to hold your outfit together. I mean, even when you're not in war, sometimes you might need a belt to hold your outfit together. But in this day and age, what they, a lot of times, the people would wear these very flowy outfits. They would be like these long flowy robes. And it is incredibly difficult to fight and run in a flowy robe. Not that I have a lot of experience with this, but so I've heard. So what they had to do was they had to grab the belt and it was the concept, there's another uh, verse where it talks about to stand is literally to, to gird up your loins or they would take this belt and they would strap up all the cloth and everything so that they were prepared to go into battle so that nothing would be hindering them or tripping them up from coming into battle. And in John 8, 14, Jesus refers to Satan as the father of lies. It says that lies are his native language. And so what Satan wants to do is he wants to trip you up. He wants you to be unprepared for battle with using truth and deception to make your faith come unraveled, to make the things that you believe in fall apart. See, and and this is sometimes what his lies look like. I don't know if you guys are like me, but how many of you have had a negative thought that you believed about yourself? Yeah, everyone, I figured. And if you're anything like me, you probably had 13 this week or 13 this morning. And see, what happens is we all have these thoughts. The things that we say to ourselves, that you're not lovable, that you don't make a difference, that no one cares about you. And so we have these thoughts that constantly wage war on us. And oftentimes we believe them. 
yeah, you're right, no one does like me. I'm not making a difference. I just annoy people. I'm too much. I'm always loud and in their face. People just pretend to like me. These thoughts that we have that are waging war on us. And see, what, what Satan's trying to do is he's trying to make you feel like you are unworthy to be a son or daughter of God. He wants you to feel like, man, you think, you think God would really like you? You think God would really accept you? And he wants to take these small thoughts and use a little bit of lack of truth and deception to knock you off following God, to knock you off a, a relationship with your king. And I think the worst thing, I don't know if you've ever had those thoughts and spoken them out loud to someone. Like I've done this before where I'm like, man, I just, you know, feeling down about something that I say it out loud to my wife and she's like, what? She's like, do you hear yourself? I'm like, yeah. She's like, no, that's ridiculous. That's not true. And sometimes when we say those negative thoughts we have out loud, you realize in, in company of someone that cares about you, are like, oh, that's not true. But oftentimes we don't go through that process. And this is what Paul says right here. I, I love this. He says, we demolish every argument. This is in 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 5. We demolish every argument and pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Imagine you have a thought that's unhelpful, that's negative, that's untrue about yourself. I love this word picture that you grab that thought and you submit it to God and you go, is this true? You fact check it before your king and you go, is this true? And let me promise you something. If you take those negative thoughts that you have about yourself and you grab them and you go, God, is this true? One, you'll start to feel a lot more confident in yourself and those thoughts will have a lot less power over you. And this is what the belt of truth looks like. You have a enemy that wants to make your faith unravel, that wants to do everything he can to make you feel worthless so that you have no impact in the kingdom of God and that you don't think that you're worthy to be a child of God. And so what we are called to do is to be buckle everything up with truth and saying, truth is going to hold this together. You're not gonna make the rest of my armor fall apart because I've got truth securing this all in place, making sure that I can walk forward because God is going to make sure I have true and valuable thoughts in my head, not thoughts of lies and deceit. The second thing is this, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate protects your vital organs. And so when we have a breastplate, it is something not that we don't all aren't born with a breastplate, it is something that you put on. And in the same way, Jesus' righteousness is something that we have the chance to put on. Now, righteousness is simply just being in right standing with God. It's saying, I am on good terms with God. And let me tell you something. Right standing with God is not something you can achieve on your own. It is something that Jesus did on your behalf. It is not something you earn your way into. It is not something you pray your way into, achieve your way into. It is simply God did something for you and you accept his righteousness. He has made you, given you the gift, this breastplate that we have to protect us. That way, when we feel discouraged and we feel like, oh man, like I'm just not, I'm not good enough and I'm not pure enough and I'm not holy enough. The answer is, yeah, you're right. You're not any of those things, but Jesus has made you those things if you put on this breastplate of righteousness, if you wear and are clothed in his righteousness, in his, in Jesus' right standing with God, we get to be found. 
And that's this beautiful gift he gives us. He goes, hey, if you think that you're not good enough, if you feel an attack from the enemy saying you're not good enough, just put on my righteousness because I have made you good enough. The third thing is shoes of the gospel. Shoes of the gospel. I felt like Paul was a little bit wordy on how he phrased that. And it was just a lot of terms that I'm like, we don't really use. So I just wanted to make it more simple. Shoes of the gospel. Now the gospel is the good news. It's the good news that Jesus died for you so that you could have an eternal life with him. And here is why it says, the, these are shoes of the gospel. Now think about if you had the most well-trained army on the planet and they had the best weapons, but no shoes. Like the moment they get into a jungle, the moment they got on rocky terrain, they would just be out, they would be outmatched. They'd be disadvantaged. Like I can't walk through like landscaping rocks without like my feet hurting. You know what I'm talking about? You have to do like the creepy tiptoes because it like hurts. We need shoes. Sometimes we, do, we don't realize how important shoes are until we don't have them, right? And this is the same thing with the gospel. This good news about Jesus, about him saving you, what it does is it gives you this foundation and it says shoes fitted with uh, the gospel of peace. It's a, it's a message about what Jesus did for you so that you can have peace in all situations. See, because when you have the right shoes, you can walk through any terrain. With, with those big military boots, they can walk anywhere. There's nothing that's gonna be able to pierce them. And this is what happens with the gospel is there's nothing in this life, no matter how scary or daunting, there's no situation or terrain that we will walk through that will pierce the message of the gospel in our life that will take away what Jesus did for us. And so we have this foundation that goes, yeah, I might walk through scary things, but at least I have a foundation that Jesus saved me and then nothing in this rocky world can touch that gospel message in my life. And Paul also says this, he says, the feet that are fitted with readiness of the gospel of, or sandals of the gospel of peace. As Jesus followers, there's also a message to be, have a readiness that we must be mobile, flexible, and ready with the truth. That we have the gospel in all situations and are ready to carry the gospel into all situations. See, Paul says this again in Romans. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news or the gospel. So you as Christians aren't just supposed to have the gospel so that you can walk through any troubling situation in life, but you're also supposed to carry the gospel to other people who are facing troubling situations and might not know Jesus yet. We walk into situations with readiness, ready to share the peace that we have and where that has come from. And so if you've received the good news, we have been sent now and we get to bring other people the good news. So the first three things in the armor of God are things that it says to have. Now, the second three things are things that it says to take, to take up. And I wanna, uh, there's this picture of taking a shield, taking a sword, taking these things that we're gonna grab. If you have a weapon, but you don't have it with you in times of battle, what good does it do you? Right, like, I, so... I have a machete that I got from when I went on a mission trip. Um, I promise that's not just what we do on mission trips because we are going on a mission trip later. But I have a machete that I got from a mission trip I went on when I was in high school. And I've decided that this machete is going to keep me safe by being next to my bed in case someone breaks in. Now, I really don't know how effective it would actually be to have a machete. Like, it's pretty dull. So it's not gonna do me a lot of advantages anyways, but at least it gives me peace of mind, right? So I have this machete. But recently, since we moved, I put this machete in a tub in the garage. Now, if someone breaks into my house, what good does the machete do me in my garage? Am I going to be like, excuse me, sir, um, just give me a moment. I need to go to the garage so I can fight you. That's not going to work. See, what good does a weapon do unless you're equipped with it? 
And this is the same, we're about to go through these next, we're about to go through these next four things of the tools that God gives us. And if you aren't equipped with these things, they're not gonna do you any good. It's like walking around and, and when adversity strikes in your life, the first thing is this, it's the shield of faith. And, and I'll, I'll get to this in a second, but imagine you're in a point in your life where you don't know where your faith is and then adversity strikes. When adversity strikes, it's not the time to be like, okay, well, now that adversity's here, I better find out if I have faith in Jesus or not. I better do some research and develop. You wanna know that you have a rooting in faith before you go into adversity. These are things that you need to be equipped with. And so uh, shield of faith, let's get into that. A shield, what does a shield do? You guys have seen, or maybe seen the movie 300. There's a point in that where Xerxes tells his archers to rain arrows down on the Spartans. So they all pull back their arrows and it's this epic part in the movie where they shoot the arrows and it blacks out the sun and it's dark and it's literally just this shadow covering them. And the Spartans are just sitting there like calm, unworried. And as the arrows are coming, they just hold up their shield at the last second and all the arrows hit for like a minute and then they just pull down their shields and not a single one of them is touched. And it says that the shield of faith is used to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. So what kind of enemies or what kind of arrows is Satan shooting at you? We already talked about the lies and the seat that he shoots at you, but others of it might be things like reminders of your past and who you used to be. He's like, oh, really? You're gonna, you're gonna walk in church? You're gonna act like a Christian? Do you remember what you used to do? You remember you three years ago, four years ago? who you were and the way you used to act, do you really think you, you belong in a church? An arrow shot at you. Or you walk in and maybe, maybe you're trying to lift your hands in worship and Satan's like, with those hands? An arrow. Temptation to do things your way. It's like, come on. You know what? Like, God is a God of forgiveness and, and you got this really strong desire right now. Just, just lean in. He'll forgive you. And there's all these things, a, a call to make a seemingly insignificant compromise, and, I, and that probably won't affect you in the future, another arrow. Bending the truth to make our disobedience seem okay, another arrow. You know what faith is? Faith is simply trusting God enough to do what he says. So why do we need a shield of faith? Because there are times in this life where you're going to get at a crossroads where you're going to go, here's what I want to do, and here's what God wants me to do. And oftentimes, our desire to do what we want to do is going to far outweigh in strength the desire to do things God's way. But if you have faith, you say, I know that I'm broken. I know that I make a mess of my own life. And I know that you're a God who wants what's best for me. And so I trust you enough to do what you say. You say, you put up a shield. And it's like, I mean, it's hard because we think that we know best. But God is someone whose ability is far greater than our own. His knowledge, his wisdom is far greater than our own. So we go, God, I trust that you know what's best. I'm gonna hold up my shield and, and, and block out all the temptation, all the things that I wanna do, all the things that the enemy's trying to shoot at me and I'm gonna trust and I'm gonna do things your way. Next, it's the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is something that protects your head or your mind. Because a lot of times we as people, our mind is focused on things of this earth. So what are we focused on? We're focused on our career, how many zeros we have in our bank account, the amount of uh, success and power you can accrue here on earth. And what the helmet of salvation does is it protects your mind and goes, the things that you're trying to attain on this earth are not the most important things. It keeps this perspective that protects your mind that says, we 
are people that have been saved and we are living for an eternity with Jesus. We're focused on and moving towards an eternity with Jesus. And so when you have these moments, let's say things don't go well, like you get bankrupt, you lose your house, you lose your job, everything in life just goes wrong. If you didn't have the helmet of salvation, you get discouraged. You'd be like, everything I'm working for is just gone. All the stuff that I put my effort into is just completely gone and I'm discouraged and what's the point of it all? But see, if you have the helmet of salvation, if you know that you are saved and that you will be saved, then when everything in your life goes wrong, you just get to put on this helmet of salvation and go, things seem crazy right now, but ultimately I still have, I'm still saved by Jesus and I still got eternity with him. And honestly, like sometimes I feel this in in a different sense right now where life, I've got three small kids and life just feels so overwhelming to me and my wife right now. Like, and I'm, some of you maybe have been there before and you understand what it's like, but I'm just like, the house is always a mess and it's impossible to clean. Like, you're, you're always like worried about finances and worried about cooking food for the kids and how do I get my kids to stop fighting and when am I gonna stop changing diapers? And there's just like so much. And I just, I, I really do feel like all the time, I'm like, and I, I get it, you know, like we keep having kids. I understand this is my fault, but like, <laughs> you guys like that. But, it, but at the same time, like, when I'm overwhelmed and I'm just like, how am I going to get through this? I just remember, I'm like, this is an overwhelming season, but I'm trying to, it doesn't matter if I never get the house clean enough. It doesn't matter if I never get my finances fully in order. What I have is an eternity with Jesus. And I want my kids to feel that same thing. And so I protect my discouragement. I protect myself from getting, just feeling like I can't do anything anymore because I understand that this life is not all that it's about, that I have a helmet of salvation protecting my mind and thoughts. Number six is the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is what it says And when Paul's talking about the armor of God. Now, this is the only offensive weapon that is listed in the armor of God. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone training with a sword or training with any kind of weapon. For the people that are the best at it, I think, I think fencing's still an Olympic sport. But for the people that are really good at fencing, the amount of time that they take training to be better than their opponent is incredible. And here's what I'll say, is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it does not come naturally to know the Bible, right? Like the people who train to be really good at combat, they train so that when combat comes, that it's just muscle memory, that they don't have to think about what their movements and steps are. And we want this to be with scripture. We want to train with scripture in such a way that when times of battle comes, it's so second nature to who we are. As the, as the Old Testament says, have scripture written on your heart. And like, uh, like I always tell people, I'm like, I want to know piano. And then people are like, well, why don't you learn? I'm like, no, I, I said, I want to know piano. I don't want to learn piano, you know? Like, and this is the same thing, I think, for a lot of us. We do the same thing with the Bible. Like, man, I'm just really envious of the people who know the Bible really well. And it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of resources out there where you could learn this Bible really well. And it's like, no, no, you didn't hear me. I said, I wanted to know the Bible really well. I didn't want to learn the Bible And you can't have one without the other. If you want to be equipped in a time of battle for the only offensive weapon that God gives you, then you have to see this book as incredibly important. Like this is not just a, a, and and I get it. It's hard because we read it and a lot of this stuff's outdated. And, and we're like, what is, like you open up the Leviticus and you're like, what is, why are they talking about ritual cleansing? Like, what am I reading here? And so we, we approach the Bible and we're like, God, this isn't any help to me but it can be an incredible tool for you if you learn how to use it. If you equip yourself, you spend time training with it. 
And so we have to be willing. This is the tool that Jesus used against Satan. In Matthew 4, he was tempted in the wilderness. And Satan starts saying all these things to him. And what he does to fight Satan is he uses scripture as a rebuttal. If you want to be comfortable with this, see your Bible as something important. And I'll tell you this, it's not super convenient. Like it's not easy. You won't just wake up and be like, oh, there we go. I understand the Bible because I want to. It takes work and effort and study and research, but it's worth it. And the last thing is this, communication with the king. And I know you're like, I don't see that enlisted in the armor of God. Let's, let's re- go to this next verse here. It's Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. Your last tool is communication with the king. And this is maybe one of the most important tools you have. See, if you've ever been to a football game and there's a quarterback and there's a coach and a lot of times the coach or the offensive coordinator is they're, they're yelling out commands to the quarterback in the, command, or in the helmet of what plays they're supposed to call. Now, if the away team is, if you're at a game and the away team is on offense and they're trying to communicate, your job when your team is on defense is to make as much noise as possible. Why? Because you want to disrupt communication between the quarterback and the coach. And I think a lot of times that Satan in our life wants to put as much noise in our life as possible to disrupt our communication with our king. He wants to fill your life with so many things. He wants to make your your schedule so busy, make you so overwhelmed, make you so tired and depleted that when you are trying to communicate with your king, that there is so much noise going on that you can't even think to communicate properly. And so one of the best things you can do with yourself as a tool of God is just to pray each morning, to spend some time, to quiet all the distractions, to turn your phone off. And I get, like, I, I'm preaching the choir here. Like, I, we have to find new time because our kids wake us up every morning, but find a space in your life where you can quiet all the noise. And it's not easy. But if you can find a place where you can quiet all the noise, you will, f- you will get strength from your king, from your father, from the person who's, who you're fighting this battle for. He's gonna give you the strength and the guidance you need for each day to go out and fight the battles that you have. And I know a lot of you are sitting in here and you're like, man, you're talking about like, this is, I'm here at church for the first time. And this is all about like following God and fighting for him. And you're saying that this life is gonna be difficult and it's gonna be, I just don't even know where I'm at with this whole God thing. I would just encourage you, if you're sitting there today in that boat, just find out why other Christians in this room think that God is worth fighting for. Think that it's worth putting their full investment in something that's gonna be incredibly difficult. Because we believe that when we follow God, like the series says, that he's gonna make us new, that he's gonna make a new you. And it's a, you that, a new you that's not gonna think or act like the world. It's gonna think and act differently from everyone else. And, and here's my promise to you, and a, actually a promise from God, is it's not an easy path. It's difficult. Maybe the most difficult thing you'll ever do. But it's the only path in your life that will bring you true love, true belonging, and true purpose. And so it's a path we we go on. We say, God, I want to be a part of your family. And if that means going into battle with you, then bring it on. I'll put on my armor of God and I'll, I'll walk this battle with you. So if you want to be a part of a God's family, and if anything that I said resonated with you as someone who hasn't surrendered to him yet, then just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, 
We're so thankful that you equip us for battle. God, you are our commander and you are powerful and you give us the strength we need. And for a lot of us, we don't know where we stand with you. But God, we know that your way is better than ours and so we just surrender. We ask you to be Lord of our life, to be king of everything we do. And that when it comes time over our decisions or your way, that we choose your way time and time again, surrendering to the king, guided by you. We love you. We praise things in your name. Amen.